0: It's it happens. It happens. Now I just look funky because I have it all sticking out on my coat and stuff. Oop. We're in First Peter, five uh, one through eleven. Loud now. Now y'all can hear me. Too loud. First Peter five one through eleven. So turn with me and let's stand for the reading of God's word, and just be excited about that, man. Uh, there have been many times in my life where I wasn't excited to read God's word, to read God, to read God's word. Uh, But I'm just so thankful to be with you guys this morning. So let's be excited and see what he's going to say to us this morning. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 11. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being good examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, and toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the, lion, uh, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, with him restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To, be, to him be the f- dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word through Peter. God, would it be challenging to us this morning on how we are to shepherd a good flock? How we are in charge of those around us and, and we have influence on, and God, would you just be such a, a motivation and not a beating down, God, not a condemnation, but a conviction into living a life according to your word, and God, we want to be lifted up by Peter this morning, uh, motivated to shepherd a good flock, um, to be uh, a, proper, or a a First Peter 5 flock and not a Ezekiel 34 flock and so Lord would you just so evidently uh, speak into our hearts this morning would you give us strength to live a life according to you because Lord uh, we can't do it without you so Lord we ask all these things in your name amen you may be seated so Peter uh, I'll, I want you guys to know something that I have uh, I have a condition called senior, or, uh, uh, pastoritis okay and that means when I'm listening to someone who's teaching So often, I love to listen to what they're saying, and I usually always get something out of it, but every time I'm listening, I'm always like, oh, what is God telling me to say next? And so it's an issue, okay? I know it's a problem, so last week, as I was sitting here, I started thinking about graduation Sunday. I started thinking about these these students who are graduating and going off to college, and then I started thinking about uh, then the ones who are going in different grades in high school, and then I started thinking about the middle schoolers going into high school, and so on and so forth. It's all the way down to, the, to our children. And I started thinking, is how do we as a church help that transition in a way that glorifies God? How do we as a church shepherd a good flock in a way that glorifies Him? So when we do transition with them, man, it's so evident that He was a part of every part of that aspect or every part of their life. And so I read 1 Peter 5.10 and it says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, I love that because I want to be uh, restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. And I pray and hope in one day that we are that. When Jesus comes back, we are restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. But in the meantime, before Jesus comes, before we get to verse 10 in our lives, how do we, as Peter encourages us, shepherd a good flock? Now before I, I, I dive really into that, I want to point us to Ezekiel 34. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel 34 as well, or you can just bookmark and read it later. But Ezekiel 34 is the other side of that. And I want us to heed this as a warning to make sure that we aren't going to be an Ezekiel 34 church. And so Ezekiel is getting a prophecy from God, and this is what He says, the loss you have not sought, and the force of harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because they were no shepherd, and they became, no, they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth, and none of them to search or seek for them. And so I want to heed that as a warning as a church, because I've seen generations and generations Of students who have grown up in the church and yet when they go off to college, they fall so far from it and they never felt welcome or desire to ever go back to that place. And so I want to point to perspective, I think we as a church are actually doing very well in loving students and loving the younger generation, loving the ones that are under our influence. But I want this morning to be a reminder and kind of a motivation, are we... As a flock, shepherding also a good flock under us. Growing up, um, like every good young man, uh, I was 13 years old and I was begging my mom for a dog. Okay? Some of you, you kids in here still are like, You see, mom? He, want, he got a dog too. Okay, But I was begging my mom for a dog. We grew up with dogs and so I just so, I, I wanted a dog so bad. And I wanted a dog to be mine, I want my dog. And so I was telling my mom, Mom, can I please have this dog? And she told me something I'll never forget. She said, Austin, if you get a dog, whether that dog lives or dies is based on you. And that was really heavy in my heart that, oh, this is a major responsibility. It's not just a best friend. It's a major responsibility. But I proved to her, and I said, Mom, I've taken care of animals my whole life. If you need me to do something to prove that I can take care of a dog, make it happen. And she said, okay. And so she had me do more things around the house. She had me take care of the dogs more as as a caretaker, and she saw that I could do it. And so one day, we're we're traveling in in Waxachi, Texas, and we pass an H-E-B uh, grocery store, and um, we see a sign that says, Free Lab Puppies. And (laughs) like a good young man, I looked at my mom and I said, Mom? And I blew the big puppy eyes, and I said, Mom, can we just go look at them? Let's just go look at them. And for kids in the room, that's how you get your parents, okay? That's how you get them. You say, hey, can we just look at them? Let's just go look at them for a little bit. And so we did. Uh, I used the puppy dog eyes, and we went, and we looked at these puppies, and of course, I picked out the smallest little puppy. It was a little chocolate lab. I bit in the palm of my hand. I said, Mom, look at this dog. And you know, that's how you do it, right? You show your parents first. You're like, look at this dog. Mom, look at his eyes. Look how cute he is. And, and of course, she's already like, she's fighting the urge to, to say yes, right? So she, she, she wants to, and she said, well, Austin, these dogs have to get shots. So they have to get neutered. And uh, the guy giving away the dogs stopped and heard that and said, oh, hey, just to let you know, I don't know if you saw this or not, but we work for a vet, and we would actually love to take care of those things when they become of age, when they become a place where they can actually be neutered and have shots. And so I looked at my mom, I said, mom, that's a divine intervention. Like, come on. Like, that's, that's God speaking right there. And I was like, we, I need this dog right now. And uh, so she, we got this dog, and uh, being the, the little nerd that I was growing up, uh, I named him Chewbacca, uh, and uh, we called him Chewy because uh, he loved to chew things up, and uh, I love Chewy so much. He was my best friend for so long, and uh, one thing I loved about Chewy is he grew a lot, and then he didn't stop growing, okay? I know the goat cheese, I talked to them a little bit but in the first service, but labs normally grow between 60 to 80 pounds. By the time Chewy was done growing, he was 110 pounds massive dog, okay, sat this high when he sat down, had a, had a head like a rock. I, I would say that if Chewy ever got hit by a car, we'd have to be paying their insurance because it was just so bad, it'd destroy the car. Um, he had these massive legs and this big chest and this tree trunk of a, of, a, of a tail. In fact, when it hit the back of your leg, you'd have to go to the hospital for about a week or something like that. And so I so loved Chewy, and I never stopped loving him. But as I grew to know more about Shui, I knew all the things that he was struggling with, and I started to really not hate him. I loved him, but I started hating taking care of him. I started to to have this disdain to really the responsibility I put on myself. See, I couldn't blame my parents for the responsibility. I begged for this responsibility, but I started to really not like taking care of him. It was really tough. As a big dog, he was hard to handle and I think that's a lot of the trainer's responsibility. I don't know who his trainer was but it's a big responsibility. But I think as a church, if we're not careful, we can do the same thing with young people. We can grow to love and be so passionate in the beginning. I mean, we want to be a, a means for the change in the culture we live in. And being a youth pastor, like I, I could see so much spark in my young age to teach young people. And but if we're not careful, we as a church can grow to find it as a chore rather than shepherding a flock. And if we're not careful, we can really be that Ezekiel 34 flock. And so I want to look through what Peter is talking about this morning on what it means to be and shepherd a good flock. Now, I'm going to preface this a little bit, okay? When Peter is talking, he's talking to very select groups of the church. He's talking to elders, he's talking to overseers, and he's talking to shepherds, which in turn means pastors, in that first few verses. And I want to challenge the thought that this verse doesn't speak to you. Because I think so often we hear a message like this and we go, oh, that's for everyone else to listen to. Or that's for the pastors to listen to. That's for the deacons to listen to. That's for the volunteers to listen to. And this is my challenge to you, is that I truly believe what Peter is talking or who he's talking to is everyone who has influence in a person's life. If you have influence in someone's life, you are, this is who, he's who you're talking to. Or you're who he's talking to. Sorry, I'm getting all mixed up. You're who he's talking to. So he's talking to everyone who has influence in some matter or form. Parents, teachers, pastors, older siblings. If someone under you is listening to what you are saying and you are taking care of them, you are part of this message. And so I want to encourage you, maybe your flock is your family and that's who he's speaking to you about. Or maybe your flock is your your students. Or maybe your flock is, is... Your younger siblings, whatever it may be, whoever God has put in your life to be an influence to, man, that is your flock, and that's what He's going to encourage you with this morning. And so let's break down what Peter is saying in this message. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow believer or fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that has been revealed. So I love this about Peter, uh, he is a very humble dude. His personality just shows that. And so when he describes himself as an elder of God, that is a, or an elder of the church, that is a very particular way of describing himself. Because this is the same Peter that walked on water with Jesus. This is the same Peter who questioned Jesus about forgiveness, and God kind of, or Jesus kind of threw back in his face. This is the same Peter who had been traveling with Jesus for those years he was traveling and doing ministry with him. And yet he doesn't sit there and boast about his position. Everyone knows who he is, but he knows that the only stasis that he has to stand on to talk to other elders is that he is another elder. And so I love that about him, as it immediately shows that he has the basis to to speak on these things, because he is also one of these things, that Peter is not this high up person in scripture, but he's actually a person just like us, and the teachings that he's actually bringing is actually for him as well. So I love that aspect, because... I would like to say that I'm the same way, that I'm always in knowing that when I'm teaching, the message is also for me. And so as your pastor, as a pastor, I want you to know that this message is also for me. That I want to be, I want to cultivate a, a, a flock that also does good shepherding in the way I shepherd. Verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. I think that's a very encouraging word, but it's a strict reminder that you have responsibilities as a church to shepherd young people, to shepherd generations under us, to shepherd influences. It doesn't have to be even younger than you. You have a responsibility as a follower of Christ to shepherd others to God. And I love that he says the word exercising oversight. I'm not a parent, so I can't can't tell you how to parent, and I don't think I have the right to do that. But I've met so many parents in my life who have no idea what their kids are going through. And it breaks my heart. Because as parents, you guys should know what your kids are going through. Exercising oversight, that you are watching over the people under you. The same thing with pastors. I met a lot of pastors who don't know what their kids are going through. I met a lot of teachers who have no idea what their students are struggling with. And so I want us to to make sure that we realize that this is a responsibility given by God, not just one that we talk about in church or that we should do. It's one that we are given by God. and It's a responsibility, and we have to be aware of that. Being an older sibling, I'm the oldest brother with three younger sisters, and I realize every word that I say, they take in. Every word that I say. And when I see them now, I see how every bits and parts that they've taken on and latched onto from me, are very particular. I have a sister who's right under me, and she's taken my stubbornness. <laughs> and we butt heads a lot because we love each other in that way. And there's a sister right under that who is just a complete nerd. And I apologize to her every day for also being one. And there's one under that who's, she's seen the seclusion that I put myself sometimes in, so she can kind of hide herself and her beauty in that way. And so every aspect that we have a responsibility, siblings, teachers, parents, pastors, anyone who has influence over others, you have a responsibility to God to exercise oversight for the flock you've been given, to be aware. And he continues on, and he says, And not under compulsion, but willingly. You think sometimes when we become Christians, we feel a lot of of things to, like, we have to do this, right? We have to do this. Because I'm a follower of Christ, I have to serve. Because I'm a follower of Christ, I have to say this. Because I'm a follower of Christ, I have to do these things. And what I would challenge you with when it comes to when you are shepherding a flock is you have to come to realize that that, like, students and, and, and young people see through that stuff. Something that, being a pastor, I've noticed is that students are so perceptive of you. And when you are doing something because you feel like you have to do it, they know that. And so then in turn, they know or they feel like they have to come to church and when they leave, they don't have this willingness or love to come to church or to come to God in any situation. And so we have to realize that sometimes we may be serving or shepherding out of compulsion, out of we have to, rather than a love for that person. He continues on, and he says, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. When I read that, I thought immediately for like monetary gain, and I think that's what we think sometimes, that, oh, I shouldn't shepherd a flock out of monetary gain, and that's so true, but I think a lot of times we don't think of the actual personal gain that sometimes we strive to have when it comes to shepherding someone or following, being, standing next to them, and following, and, and, and bringing them with you to Christ, we don't really think about the personal gain we get from that. When I was at a church in Irving, uh, I interned for four years at this church, and I loved it so much, and I got to do so many amazing things as an intern. I got to really like be thrown into the fire with a lot of stuff when it comes to church ministry, but about my second year, my youth pastor sat me down and said, Austin, why are you here? And I said, because I want to learn. And he said, that's the issue. He said, you're not coming to serve the students. You're coming to serve yourself. So sometimes we serve out of gaining something from it. And the Bible is so clear that we need to love the Lord we, God, we serve, and not at a shameful gain, but willingly and eagerly to serve the God we serve. And now listen, I, I work with middle schoolers and high schoolers. I know how hard it is to serve them sometimes. But it's not out of a shameful gain. It's out of a lovingness and eagerness to serve God first. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being good examples to the flock. That same pastor, he had a lot of words to say to me because I was still growing and learning. He said, Austin, we don't lead by telling them what to do. We lead by example. And so never ask a student, never ask anybody else in your life to do something that you wouldn't be willing to do first. And I learned this very intense principle, that if I'm going to be a good leader, I first have to be a great follower. If I'm going to lead others to God, I first have to know the God that I'm serving. If I'm going to lead and be a good shepherd to those in my care, I first have to follow him and lead by example by the things that I do. And I think so often we are just so good and so quick at, at complaining about the culture and social media and the society we live in, but we're not quick to see how we aren't being good examples and not live in those things. And so we as a church have to realize we have to come to a place where we're leading by example, eagerly to serve the Lord, not under domineering, and that's, that word domineering, by the way, also means lording over, to lord over someone. We're not called to lord over someone. Your responsibility is the flock, but the great shepherd is the great shepherd. You are not the great shepherd. We're just, for a little time, we have responsibility to the flock that he's given us. And so we need to shepherd it well by not lording over them, but eagerly in serving the guy that we serve. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I read that, and I'm, it makes me so excited, Right? I am so excited to be in heaven one day with you guys, seeing each one of you and excited to see what God is going to do in heaven and just singing worthy is his name for the rest of time. And then to see like the efforts that I've put forth, the way I've served him, the way I've loved him. I don't do those things for treasure, but he's laid treasure up there for me. But I read that and I also hear, man, for the ones that I didn't shepherd well, we're gonna have a discussion with. And so, no, we shouldn't be shepherding that we get a treasure out of heaven, but we should be shepherding out of a love for him. And in the term, when we struggle to shepherd someone and we don't do it in a way, we do it in an Ezekiel 34 way where we serve ourselves, we have to answer for those things. The Bible is very clear that when we have authority, we're going to be responsible for the way we loved and show them the love of Christ. We're going to be held accountable for those things. And so I want to encourage you, don't do it because of the treasures in heaven. Do it out of a love for him and he'll give you treasures in heaven out of a grace of a father who loves you so dearly. And don't beat yourself up for the ones you struggled with. There have been days where I beat myself up for the way I've been a brother to my sisters. But I know God will restore them even when I'm not there. And I trust in him but we need to see where we are falling short in that first few verses. As a flock, are we shepherding also a good flock under us? Are we transitioning well into the next generation? Are we walking with them in the love of Christ, not apart from them? I love first Peter too. I love Peter in general, because I think he was a pastor with a little bit of ADHD because he's just like he jumps around a lot, but he makes always brings it back to the same point. And so this next point, he doesn't stray away from the point, but he's going to a different side of it. Verse 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I remember when I first read that, and I was uh, in high school, and I was like, oh, that, that's for me. Like, I need to work on my humility. And it's so right. Like, he's talking to younger people. But I think he's not only talking to younger people. Because he brings it back. He says, all of you be clothed with humility. But he's emphasizing young people. So for a second, young people in the room, I'm just letting you know this now if you don't know this. You are born with pride and we have it, okay? I have pride. Because it's naturally what our our instincts, what our sinful flesh desires go to is serving ourselves. And so for younger people, we need to know that the people authority over us, they're going to keep accountable, God's going to keep them accountable in heaven for how they, tra- how they loved us and shepherded us. But that doesn't or keep us away from obeying them and knowing we need them. So young people, know that your parents love you, and though it may be hard for, to see how they love you, they do, and you are still called to be humble in following them. But then he continues on. He says, all of you be clothed with humility. I think it's very interesting. He uses that word "clothe," um, a very unique imagery for humility itself. Because I think when we wake up in the morning, we make a choice. What we're going to wear in the morning or how we're going to address our day by what we wear. I got on the stage and you saw that a youth pastor was wearing a jacket. And you're like, man, this guy means business. But we choose what to put on daily. So I think he has two different ways of showing imagery with when it comes to humility in this way. The first one is that we have a choice. And usually our first choice when we wake up is pride. It's so natural. We don't even have to really choose it because our body is so accustomed to it that we choose pride immediately when we wake up. And so the choice really is that we have to put on humility that we have to choose to put that on, that it's a daily occurrence that we realize where our prides lie and how we need or in need of a Savior and how we're called to love others around us. So that's the first thing he puts on. But then I also think he uses the word clothed because he wants others to see us having humility. Not that we get anything from that, but he wants us to know that when we wear humility, that others see it on us and we never have to say a word. Like, I didn't have to get on the stage and tell you all that I was wearing a, a gray jacket with jeans and black shoes. You guys saw that on me. In the same way, we should live in a way where humility is just shown. That we are in need of a Savior, we are in need of Him, and we are called to love others. And that's where we wear, That's how we wear humility. I, I've always said that the, the most prideful sentence we could ever... Uh, throw out there or ever say is that I am humble because the subject of that sentence is I and the crazy thing about pride is I think it manifests itself in so many different ways and we see in scripture the root sin of pride is so prevalent in so many different ways and manifests in so many different ways and I think the thing that pride does the most is it hides itself it's very good at hiding itself a pastor from Life Action used to say, Pride doesn't break the door down. It picks the lock into our hearts. It doesn't bust the door down, and it isn't immediately evident. When we start looking at God, we start knowing Him more, and we start serving more, we start seeing how much pride we actually have. Like that pastor asking me why I was coming to serve, I was coming to serve out of my pride. And I needed to wear humility. So we as a church, when it comes to what's next, when it comes to the generations, the flock that we have under us, we have to live in a humble way. We have to show our, our students, our kids, our, our, our generations under us, that living in humility is, is freedom. Because pride is such a chain that, it is hold, that holds so much of our own lives. And he continues on in verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. I don't know about you, but when you actually start to picture how big God is, it's very humbling. And if it isn't, then you aren't picturing the right God. Because he's a big God, and he does big things. And so when I picture the mighty hand of God, I just picture it like covering the whole earth. Like I can't even picture how big this, this hand is, just his hand. But picturing and seeing how great, how amazing, how strong our God is, it should bring us to a place of humility, because we know we need him. And I love what he says here in the next sentence. He says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I grew up in the church my whole life, and I've always heard God loves you, and I so believe that. I so believe God loves me, he loves you, he loves everyone who's ever walked this earth. He is so in love with his creation. Don't ever think that I doubt that. But I think so often we throw that word love around in different places that it makes when we say God love you, God loves you, not as strong as it should be. We've come so numb to the things of God that when we hear God loves you, we're like, yes, I know he loves me. But we don't really appreciate what that actually means. And what I love about what Peter is doing here is he's saying God loves you in a different way that I think is so strong for what we need to hear. First, he says, cast your anxieties on him. Now, all the fishermen in the room know when, you, when I say the word cast, like do you lay your lure in the water? No, you throw it out there as far as you can. Some of you guys can whip pretty good. And so this image... Is not an image of laying your anxieties down to him. It's actually throwing them away from you at God. It's saying, God, you, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm fearing. You take it from me. I can't handle it. I need you. Humble and knowing you need him. And you cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Some of you guys need to hear that this morning. God cares about you. He loves you and he cares about the struggles you're going through about the problems you're dealing with, about the struggles of being a parent, the struggles of being a teacher, the struggles of of shepherding a flock. He cares about those things. And so cast your anxieties on Him. Don't hold on to Him. Throw them at Him. He can catch them. I've always said He's the best baseball player there ever was because He can catch all those anxieties. But you have to cast them on Him because your Father in Heaven cares so deeply for you. He doesn't want you to stay in your... Anxiety state, he wants you to live freely with him. And then he switches again, his ADHD flares up and he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I don't want to sit here and blame the culture. I, I hate doing that because when I blame the culture, I'm not a means to change it. But I think the American church has become so comfortable where we live and what we can do. And we forget this battle that is going on constantly for our hearts. And when we forget about it, our kids forget about it. When we aren't sober-minded and watchful, we, they aren't. And so when they leave this place, why are we so confused about why they don't come to church? Because they forget that there is a war going on for their hearts. And we need to be reminded of that as well. There's a war going on for your heart. And Jesus defeated sin. There's no condemnation for that anymore. But the war that's happening is between our fleshly desires and our heavenly desires. And we need to be aware of who is after us, who is after your children, who is after our flock. And He's not a good person. But what I love about what Peter is saying is it's very image-based because he doesn't say the devil is biting or scratching because Jesus declawed th- de- and defanged him at the cross. He has no power in that way. But in the same way, he roars. He causes so much deceit, so much deception, so much lying, so much temptation in our hearts. And our fleshly desires give into it because we forget that there's someone after us. And the devil wins when we forget about him. Sin wins when we forget that we have it. Or we don't think we have it. Peter wants us to be reminded of that. That there are wild beasts after our flock. Constantly. Constantly. And we need to be vigilant and aware that we are, because we have God in our hearts, when you accept him into your life, he has given you power to cast out demons, cast out the places where you feel oppressed. I, I, I grew up Baptist. I didn't grow up um, Pentecostal. My mom used to say something to me that I've never heard someone else say in a Baptist church. And it was this. That when I feel oppressed, when I feel like I'm struggling in sin and I can't get out of it, when I feel depressed, anxiety-filled, and stressed, that I can actually call out Satan and say, Satan, you have no power here. Get away from me. You have that same power. When you live a life with Christ, you have that same power. And so why do we never use that? Because Satan doesn't want us to know he's there. Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What What Satan also loves to do, and our sin likes to do, is to remind us that we're alone. And it's another lie. Peter reminds us that you are not alone for the things that you are going through. But so often our own minds tell us that we are. That I'm the only person dealing with this. That I'm the only person struggling with these thoughts. That I'm the only person who struggles in this way. And I can tell you right now, that is such a lie from the devil that when we live that, we live so much in fear, we never address the sin in our life. So be aware, be watchful, and know that you you have a brotherhood, a sisterhood who you are surrounded with, who also deal with it. We're supposed to be a family. And families talk about hard things. Families discuss difficult stuff together. And we encourage and uplift one another. I think so often the reason students don't come back to church when they graduate is because they never felt like a family in the begin with. We never loved them in a way that shows so much that we also struggle with stuff. I don't ever want to be a pastor who thinks that because of my position that I am better or higher or ever that way. And so we, in the same term, don't ever want to be that way. We want to live in humility and know that we also all struggle with these things. And you have a safe place here. When I first joined, Luke asked me if I wanted to like, implement changes to begin with. And I said, uh, that's, I don't want people to fire me the first week I'm here, so I'm going to hold off on that but he asked me if I wanted to change the name of the youth ministry. And I said, refuge? Why would I want to change that? This building is a great representation of a refuge, but the perfect refuge is him. And when we come to find refuge within each other, we find him. And we seek and desire him. And so know that you have brothers and sisters who also struggle in the same way. And he finishes out by saying, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will him himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Brings it back back to him and gives him the glory immediately at the end of his letter. How are we as a church going to shepherd a flock like 1 Peter 5? That question, what's next, I think is a very open ended question. And I, I thought some of you guys may have thought that I was going to answer that question for you tonight or for for you this morning. It's not my question to answer. That's what we need to be asking God. God, what's next? How am I shepherding in a way that glorifies you? What's the next step that I need to do with my children? What's the next step that I need to do with my students? What do I need to be doing as a good shepherd to shepherd my younger siblings? And I so desire for us to be a 1 Peter 5 church. I think we're doing really good. But I think there's a desire within us that we can cultivate. Not just send people, young people off to do the things of this world, but walk alongside them. To not just take the flock and put them in a pasture and let them go, but to be with them, spend time with them, get to know them. Exercising oversight, willingly, eager being good examples of that. And so I want to challenge all of us, not just you guys, but for me, myself. I I need this challenge that I want to be a good shepherd of a flock. And I don't know where you are this morning, but I pray and hope that you want to be a good shepherd too. And so the first thing we got to do is, is ask God, what's next for us? How do we become good shepherds and walk along? And what does it look like for my life personally? When Peter talks, is he talking specifically about this situation in my life or something else? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and for your mercies. God, we are humble in knowing that we are in need of a Savior. God, the truth is, is we are imperfect shepherds. But we have a perfect shepherd who loves us so much and it's the perfect example of what a good shepherd looks like. And so, Father, this morning, when, in the ways you've challenged us to not be beaten down, but motivated to live a life according to your word, God, would you strengthen us in being good shepherds for you? And God, where we're falling short, would you show us? Would you make it so evident? And God, if it doesn't, would you just allow us to have the strength to follow you wherever that may be? I pray for the generations under us. I just pray over them, God. I don't want to be a means to complain about the generations or the culture. I want to be a means to change it. Because, God, you've given us that power, and by your power, God, things will change. And so, God, we trust in you with the generations, the flock, because truly, the flock isn't ours. We were never designed to have the flock, but the flock has always been yours. But God, temporarily, while we have responsibility, would we take care of your sheep? Would we walk alongside them and love them, pursue them the way you do? And when we send them off, we know that you are still doing good works in them and trust in them. God, it can be terrifying when things change but God, we trust you with that, whatever it may be. And so, Lord, we just hand this over to you, God. Would you make us good shepherds, but would you also give us strength? And when we fall short, and would you forgive us of that? And, Lord, as we come to just sing out your praises again, God, thank you for the opportunity to be shepherds. Thank you for the blessing it is to be a shepherd. It's a hard responsibility, and God, so often, like my dog, we can grow tired and weary of it, but God, would you renew us in loving the jobs that we get to do, in loving the people we're serving, in loving the generations under us, and loving the flock that we have before us, whatever that may look like. Would you give us a place of willing to serve you and love you through that, and the blessing that is. And so, Father, we just come humbly to your name. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. I want to remind you guys as the song is playing use the stage as your altar meet with God meet with him like that's so much what he desires is he just desires to sit and talk to you and I hope you can take an opportunity this week to do that maybe not here but maybe at home and as you're doing that if you need somebody to pray with we want you to know that you are not alone that you have a brotherhood and sisterhood who loves you so dearly and that you can trust And so if you would like someone to pray with, we're going to have the prayer team up here as well. But as we just sing this last song, would you just sing out to him? And it would it be such a joyful noise in that way? It's just a practice day for heaven. Let's sing out.